Hindsight is always 2020. This old saying reminds us that when we look ahead to a story or an experience or a destination, things can often seem blurry and unclear. But when we look back on the same experience, destination, or story, things seem clear and in focus. Most people experience this sort of thing when they take a trip. The way to a new place seems to take longer than the way back home from that same place. Recently, my wife and I took a weekend trip to a place that we had never been before. We were very excited to get away from the hustle and bustle of DFW, but it seemed like it took forever to get there, and it only took less than two hours. But on the way home, it felt like it only took 20 minutes because we were familiar with the route. Psychologists have studied the subjective experience of travel to help explain why we feel one way about going to unknown places and why we feel another way about coming to known places. When we go to unknown places, we do not know what to expect, but we imagine things. We imagine what it might look like or sound like or smell like. And then reality collides with our imagination and often violates our expectations. This can leave us feeling disoriented and conflicted. But when we go to known places, we don't imagine what it might look, sound, or smell like because we already know what to expect. Reality simply confirms our expectations. And this leaves us feeling reoriented and even comforted. Well, as you well know, the subjective experience of watching a sports ball game or reading a novel or going to a concert, participating in worship, or even hearing a sermon can leave you feeling disoriented or reoriented or a little bit of both. When we started this series on The Promise almost a year ago, Everyone had a different set of expectations. Everyone anticipated something from their own frame of reference. For some, this has felt like a return home, like going back to Sunday school again for the first time. For others, it has felt like a maiden voyage of discovery. You have said things like, I didn't know you could see Jesus in all of the scriptures. So whatever your expectations, not a few of you have shared how this series has far exceeded your expectations. And although we have led you through some familiar and unfamiliar stories, for the most part, you have left feeling comforted and reoriented to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hindsight is always 2020. And looking back over the past year, I can say with confidence that it's not this series, and it's not this set of sermons, and it's not just this story alone that has left you feeling comforted and reoriented. It is the Spirit of God. The Spirit, working by means of the Scriptures, the sermons, and sacraments, has convicted us of sin, comforted us with grace, and conformed us to the image of Christ in love just a little bit more. Well, speaking of the Spirit, I want you to know that for the next few weeks, 
we're going to be drawing your attention to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And this starts with Acts 2 and the story of how the Spirit came into the world. To help you orient yourselves and stay on track during the sermon, I want you to keep three words in mind. Only three words. Wind, word, water. Wind, word, water. Wind, word, water. Why? Because we're going to see that God pours out the Spirit in these three ways. In the wind, in the word, and in the water. Let's look at the first one. God pours out the Spirit in the wind. When the day of Pentecost arrived, all were together in one place and... Luke tells us that suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And because of the tongues of fire and the languages that were spoken and understood, people from all over the place began to gather at this place where the apostles were gathered, and they began to ask questions. Why? What's going on? What does this mean? Now, in light of all of the stories that we have seen over the past year, I think this story ought to take on a new shape and significance for us. Because what we see here is nothing less than the reversal of Babel's confusion and the reversal of Eden's curse. Now, you have to look at it a little deeply to see it, but to give you context, think of this. At the Tower of Babel, Mankind was determined to make a name for itself, to build a tower to the heavens, and to not fill the earth. They did not want to be scattered. The Lord God came down to see what mankind was up to, and he decided to frustrate their plans simply by breaking down the lines of communication. One language became many languages, and one people became many peoples, and they were scattered and abandoned that project. When the God poured out the Spirit in the wind, the Spirit gathered what had been scattered. He brought new communication to old confusions. He used the new language of the gospel to gather a new people and to bring them to the true and better tower that reaches from heaven to earth. Likewise, we see that in the Garden of Eden, man was driven into exile because of sin. The man who was formed from the dust of the earth and made a living being was driven from life to death because of his failure. And here, when God pours out the Spirit in the wind, the breath of life comes to breathe new life into those who were slain by sin, to make these dry bones live, to restore the image of God in his people, to bring exiles back from death to life. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep, and light overcame darkness, and chaos was brought to order. So here, when God pours out the Spirit in the wind, the new creation was born. The new people of God were remade in God's image and likeness, and God hits reset button on the history of the world. The Spirit of God is poured out in the wind. Many years ago, I was living in Oaxaca, Mexico, serving a church as a missionary and church revitalizer. 
We spend a lot of time in the slums, a lot of time in the poorer areas. And one evening, I went with some friends to a house church that we had established, and the hostess met us at the door sick with fever, lethargic. And as soon as she let us in, she went back to lie on her couch. We were all very concerned about her. She was elderly and she was poor, and we wondered what we might do for her. We decided that the easiest and the best thing to do would be to pray. And as she lay on her couch, I went to her stove, which was only a few feet away, and I grabbed the cooking oil, and I went over to her, put some in my hand, anointed her with oil, and prayed. And while we were praying, we heard a loud noise, a strong gust of wind that rattled the corrugated tin of her little shack. Gates were blown open, and we were terrified. I stopped praying and I looked at her and I said, Serafina, it was just the wind. And Serafina sat up and smiled and said, no, it was the Holy Spirit. And she went over and in a biblical fashion began to make coffee and prepare sweet bread for us because we had come to see her. God pours out his spirit in the wind. But God also pours out his spirit in the word. All were amazed and perplexed and said to one another, what does this mean? And isn't that what you want to know when something marvelous or strange happens? What does this mean? When learning a new language, one of the most frequently asked questions is, what does X mean? When you hear something unusual in a sermon, you might ask each other, and you might even ask your pastor on occasion, but usually ask each other on your way home, What in the world did that mean? When you read something strange or hard to understand in the Bible, you ask, at least you should ask, what does this mean? Well, I love that in this story, the Apostle Peter, an apostle of Christ, who has just experienced a charismatic experience of the Holy Spirit, is still moved by the same Spirit to cite book, chapter, and verse of the Holy Scriptures. So often in the Christian community, we see people go one extreme or the other. It's either all spirit and no scripture, or it's all scripture and no spirit. And Peter holds these two things together. This is not the first or only time that Peter paid close attention to the scriptures. When he said, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Later on, when he's an older man, he will write a letter and send it out to the churches and say, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own imagination or interpretation For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Peter is linking himself to the prophets and reminding the congregation in front of him of what the prophets have foretold. This is the more sure word that we must cling to. The prophets foretold that God would pour out his spirit and sprinkle his people clean. 
The prophet Isaiah said, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. The prophet Ezekiel said, I will leave none of them remaining among the nations anymore, and I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord. The prophet Zechariah said, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. These prophetic words were fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And this is what the Apostle Peter wanted his hearers to see and to know. That God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. According to Peter, the Spirit was poured out in the Word, with the Word, by the Word. So if you really want to know what this or that means in the Bible, you must pay attention to the prophets until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And that requires much prayer and much patience. I have a study at home upstairs in our house and the windows face east and my wife and I were up early this morning and we noticed the sunrise I don't know if any of you were up early enough to see it but the longer we waited the more we looked the more we anticipated the more beautiful it became and it seemed to take forever for that fiery ball that morning star to peak above the horizon and when it finally did, those rays of light scattered the darkness. The gloom was driven away. And we saw the glory of the sun standing in the sky. This is what Peter has in mind. God pours out his spirit in his word. Pay attention to the word of the prophets and the apostles. And wait for it. Pray for it until Christ rises in the eyes of your heart. God also pours out his spirit in the water. Peter said Jesus had received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, and that he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And then he said to the people who had been cut to the heart, who said, what shall we do? He said, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God pours out the Spirit in the water. The Father gave the Spirit to Jesus. Jesus gave the Spirit to all his people, just as he promised. And I want you to see here that the promise of the Holy Spirit was poured out for you poured out for you. And why? So that your heart might be circumcised. So that you might be washed clean of your sins. So that your sins might be forgiven. So that you might be marked with the sign of the cross and that you might be sealed for the day of redemption. So that you might devote yourself to the Lord 
to the word, the prayers, and the church. And I also want you to see that the Spirit was poured out for your children for all the same reasons. Your children need the gift of the Spirit so that they might grow up in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men, just like Jesus. They need the gift of the Spirit so that they may be consecrated to the Lord Jesus Christ and connected to His church and commune at His table and be conformed to His image, just like you. They need the gift of the Spirit so that they might live and move and exist in the power of the Spirit, not in the weakness of the flesh, just like Jesus. They need the gift of the Spirit so that they might be saved from this crooked and depraved generation, just like you. You see, Christ knows that you need the gift of the Spirit, and He knows that your children also need the gift of the Spirit as much as you do. And that is why the gift promised by the Father was poured out by Christ for you and for your children. The Spirit is a gift, and He is the gift that keeps on giving, not only for you, but for your children. And not for you only, and not for your children when they're no longer children, but while they're children. The Spirit is a gift, not for you to enjoy now, but for your children to enjoy only later on if they reach some mythical age. The Spirit is a gift, not a prize to dangle in front of your children as a reward for making good decisions or for doing the right things. The Spirit is a gift, not a wage earned by virtue of desire or effort, but a gift received by virtue of Christ's mercy and grace. The Spirit is a gift. And the gift is a promise, and the promise is for you and for your children. Now, no one in their right mind wants to face the devil, the flesh, or the world alone and by themselves, armed only with the weakness of their flesh and sinful nature. So why in the world would we want our children to do that? Why in the world would we leave them to their own devices and weaknesses? Why raise your children as if they were Christians without first letting them become Christians? Why treat your kids as cross-bearers without first having them marked with the sign and seal of the cross? Why act as if your children are united to Christ without first letting them become united to Christ by means of the sacrament of baptism? The Spirit is a gift promised to the youngest, not the oldest, promised to the weakest, not the strongest. It is for you and for your children. About 20 years ago, a friend sent me and her pastor to lunch together at an Italian restaurant in Natchitoches, Louisiana, at a place overlooking Cane River. As pastors do, we spent most of our time making small talk, and then after the meal, we got down to business to talk about the similarities and the differences between our denominations. He was surprised to learn that I was in a tradition in the Churches of Christ that held so firmly to baptism for the remission of sins. He was pleased by that and then asked me a question. What do y'all do with verse 39? What do y'all do with verse 39? I paused. I looked down at his Bible and read, The promise is for you and for your children. And I looked up and said, We don't do anything with verse 39. (laughs) I don't even know if we know that verse 39 is in the Bible. And we just laughed and laughed and laughed. (laughs) 
Well, that conversation was one of the many turning points in my life. You see, the Spirit of God and the Word of God have the power to change us, to change even our deepest convictions, to change us even when we know in our bones that we are right and other people are wrong. The Spirit and Word of God can expose our errors, our mistakes, our blind spots. And perhaps the Spirit will use some of what we have seen and heard today to do that for us. Hindsight is always 2020. And now we know that God pours out His Spirit in the wind, in the Word, and in the water. God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. We ask, what is the promise? The promise is the Holy Spirit. Who is the promise for? Well, he is for you, and you, and you, and he is for your children. He is for as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, give us grace to faithfully bear your name, which we received in baptism, and to worship and serve you with pure hearts all the days of our life. Grant us the true circumcision of the Spirit, that our hearts may be pierced, that worldly and carnal lust will be cut away, and that we may in all things obey your word and your spirit. One God, world without end. Amen.